welcome to The Prosper Project, the show that helps entrepreneurs build brands that impact the world and the bottom line. We know that success doesn't come in a one-size-fits-all package. That's why we're bringing you adaptable marketing strategies along with valuable insights from inspiring changemakers, firebrands, and visionaries. I'm Lorraine Sugart, founder of the disruptive brand agency, Prosper for Purpose. Now for this week's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another session of The Prosper Project. Today, I'm really excited to have as my guest, Lindsay Lachelle. Lindsay is the founder of Open Lines, which was a marketing agency and now is a marketing consultancy. She is also a B Corp founder and leader within the We The Change movement. So Lindsay and I have known each other for a year or so, I would say, and you're really going to enjoy our conversation. Welcome, Lindsay. Thanks so much for having me, Lorraine. Yeah, my pleasure. So Tell people a little bit about Open Line, how you started it, and what kind of services you offer. Yeah, I love being a consultant. Can I just tell you, like, I have the right temperament for being able to tell my clients something they maybe don't want to hear. I have the right temperament. Like, I love the Gallup strengths as a like tool for helping understand where you should be and or what you should be doing. And I'm an activator. That's like one of my strengths. And so like getting enrolling people, getting people fired up about a thing is something I really love to do. And so the thing that I do is to help like solve marketing for my clients so that they can like solve more important problems, right? I work with lots of underestimated founders, queer, BIPOC folks, nonprofits, B Corps, like anybody whose success makes the world a better place, They are less likely to have a lot of money to invest and so more likely to benefit from like a really smart marketing strategy. And so that's what I help them do. I love it. That was really, really powerful. Thank you. So tell us why did you decide or how did you decide to become an entrepreneur? Is that something that you always aspired to? Do you know, I feel like I avoided it for as long as I possibly could. When I think about my 20s, and my 30s, I had a lot of opportunities to start businesses. I was like, you know, I was had a tutoring business when I was in grad school, like stuff like that. And I just never really took advantage of the opportunities there. So I call myself a reluctant entrepreneur because when I finally did start my marketing agency, I was in this position where I had worked for a couple of marketing agencies in a row that were really toxic. I was married to somebody who was underemployed, like chronically underemployed our entire relationship. So I was a breadwinner. And I was just at my end. Like I couldn't find a job. I was literally like taking Ativan to get through my workday and then Trazodone to be able to sleep at night. Like I was just a wreck. And I finally got to this point where I was like, I went to my boss and I pitched him. I said, I want to build a content, like a content offering. We can do like, because I was like at that time, I had been drinking the HubSpot Kool-Aid and I really, and like no shade, like I still love HubSpot, but just the, like as a recovering content farmer, like I had done SEO back when it was like, not actually a really good thing for users, right? Like I had worked for a content farmer. And so I had was sort of like, had this idea of what really good content marketing could be a service to to the business and a service to customers. And so I went to my boss at the time and I said, I want to build a content marketing team inside of the agency. We were mostly building websites and stuff at the time. 
And he said, no, he said, you're never going to have more power or more influence. He's like, I'd rather not have the money that you would make me on that case, because I don't want you to grow in this business, in this agency. Are you kidding me? Like straight up, straight up. And I was like, okay. Like at that point, like I was completely in survival mode, you know? And there was another time where he told me I was a rabble rouser. Oh my gosh. Like no one can see our faces right now, but this is one of those we talked about before we started. This is why I keep this on audio because if listeners could see my face right now, my mouth is literally hanging open. I cannot believe that. I mean, I had some very classic, like I wasn't a feminist until I was convinced by the treatment of my bosses that there was a problem because I was a woman. Like, I'll give you like, so the other toxic boss, actually, he would do this thing where I would write the proposal, I would write the project scope, and then he would present it to the client without me in the room as if it was his own work. So like, this was where I was from. It was like when shit like that started happening to me all the time that I was like, I only want the opportunity that I deserve. Right. But yeah. like, I wasn't getting that. And so that was when I started to like put the pieces together that like, this is not about the quality of my work. This is about something else entirely. And that was when I really started to like, look at things. And honestly, like that's, I didn't become a feminist until like my late thirties after I started like seeing all this Well, shit. you experienced why feminism was a thing, you know, yeah. this didn't come about because women were treated equally or yeah. with even with respect for what they contributed. It was created as a reaction to the fact that we were put in boxes. Yeah, that's astounding to me because you are significantly younger than I am. And this is what's sad because I do remember having my daughters and thinking, well, at least by the time that they grow up, they won't have to experience what I'm experiencing. And if anything, it's worse. In a lot of ways, I feel like it's worse. And that's like a whole subject for another day, because I want to talk about you and what you do today. But let me just say that I hear you, I acknowledge you, and I'm sorry for you and for anyone that has to go through that. I will tell you a quick aside, and then we will move on. I'm proud of this now, but I didn't talk about this for years and years. When I was looking for my first job out of college, I was not standing in my power and very strong. I was still kind of like, you know, insecure and I was a slight extrovert, but only around people I knew. So I went for an interview with an agency and the owner came out to the lobby and sat down next to me Hmm. and asked me a bunch of questions. And the whole time I'm thinking, is he taking me back to an office or what's happening? And then he said, you're probably wondering why we're sitting here. And I said, yeah, I was kind of curious. And he said, it's because this is where you'd be working. And I said, excuse me. I thought, that I can't even remember what the title was, but it was something like account coordinator, right? It was a very entry-level position. And he points to the reception desk. And I said something like, I thought it was an account coordinator. And his response to me was, wait for it. All my girls start here. (laughs) And I don't know who took possession of my body because you know what I said? I looked at him and I said, where do your boys start? <laughs> nice. And his mouth dropped open, kind of like mine did. And then he immediately had this really offended face, 
Yeah. I don't remember anything else about the interview. Well, of course, it came to a close <laughs> quickly. I left and never heard from that agency again. I mean, you be come, so proud of yourself. That's so bold. I am now. At the time, I was like, who said that? You know, but I was so offended. I was so offended. Appropriately so. Yeah. And this was the 80s. I've got to confess. It was a long time ago, but still, but still. So, yeah, I was in a tough spot. I was trying to figure out my situation. And I went to, I had had one client that my network had yielded. Uh, that had like actually followed me from one agency to the next. And I went to him and I said, I'm thinking about going out on my own. And he said, I'll be your first client. It was a ride. I was really, really, really proud of that business. It was fun. And so was that the first version of Open Lines or was that a different? Okay, it was. Yeah, it was. It was actually, so the agency brand was Diamond and Branch Marketing Group, which I get to tell the story very often. So I'll tell you like where the- Yeah, yeah, yeah. In my thinking about what I wanted to do as content marketer, I sort of took this like visual metaphor. So people would think Diamond was like something like very luxurious or expensive or whatever. And I'm like, no, 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 this is very practical because if your marketing, if your brand is good, it should be transparent and it should be multifaceted right? It needs to be absolutely authentic through from beginning to end. But also if you're going to be effective, it's okay to show different sides to different audience members at different times, right? So that, so I was like, the diamond is your brand. The branch is that it should be measured for, it should be connected to everything else and it should be measured for fruitfulness. And so those are sort of the four, like I had this really, really beautiful little office in San Diego. And we had those four words, transparent, multifaceted, connected, and fruitful. And that became very much like the way that we thought about our work and our relationships with each other. And it was lovely. That's really profound and beautiful. So what led you away from that agency to where you are now? Oh, so many life lessons and a pandemic. So basically I had in the fall of 2019, I had 10 employees. We were increasing our office space. We were growing like crazy. I was like, had like really, really great clients, good monthly retainers. I was happy. Like this was the business I was trying to build. And then employee number one and employee number two, who both worked for me for over three years, close to four years, which I'm like so proud of that too. Like it's a coup to have young people working for you that long, but their abilities were outgrowing we're outpacing what we could offer, right? So right for them to move on. And I take it as a great compliment. They gave me three months notice. So like October, they tell me they're leaving at the end of the year, right? So great. So I do what is kind of my natural reaction to this thing, which is to like grab my laptop and run away to Palm Springs. I'm like, I lived in San Diego, like the business was in San Diego. And I was like, run away to the desert is sort of my coping mechanism. And so I took myself on an executive retreat and sort of like did a lot of like blue sky because I can't replace them for what I pay them. And I feel like all business owners who hire young people know, like we all go through this, right? Yes. I went through that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm like trying to figure out like, what's the size and shape? Do I want to change my offering? Do I want to like, where, you know, just sort of like blue sky. And I realize that like running this agency isn't actually the job that I want. What I actually want to be doing is more teaching, more speaking, more engagement with the strategy, less management of the team. I want to do more writing. So I sort of 
acknowledged all those things. And it's just like, well, whatever, like, I'm not going to fire the rest of these employees and clients. So like, I need to keep going in this direction. So here I go. And then it turned out that wasn't up to me because staff turnover led to client turnover. I made a bad hire. So I lost a bunch of money and a bunch of client goodwill. Like I was just like all these. And then we lost 80% of our monthly recurring revenue from February to April. Oh my gosh. Because not only did we have like, you know, I mean, we had a good spread of clients, but in San Diego, we also had like a good concentration of hospitality clients. So for them, it was like a no brainer, like they had to shut down. And so summer of 2020, I'm like quixotically sort of hustling to try to find agency clients and nobody's signing six figure content marketing retainers, (laughs) you know, it's like, but the conversations I'm having are people who are saying right now is actually a great moment because I've got time so I can do it, but I need a plan. I need somebody to help me figure out like how to prioritize what I should be doing. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. As an agency owner, one of my priorities was accountability to my clients was really uncomfortable with some of the practices I'd seen at other agencies. It was like, we'll just take all your money, produce a bunch of ads. And then like, so long, thanks for all the fish. Like, I really hope that works Mm -hmm. for you. And that just didn't, it right with me. And content marketing is a grind, right? You have it to is. constantly optimize. And so I had set up this framework to build consensus between myself, my client, you know, myself, the strategist, my clients and the team that was executing. And it was really useful because it could help us sort of when the client comes and says, oh, we want to do X, Y, or Z, we can be like, yeah, that doesn't fit the strategy. So we're not going to do that. Or yes, that's a great idea. And let's, you know, so it was a really, really powerful tool. And I had been teaching it as a workshop already for like small and new nonprofits, right? When you're a nonprofit that has a one person marketing team or less than that, right? A distributed marketing team where it's like the ED writes the newsletter and the receptionist does the social media and like, right? We all know these. (laughs) Yes, we know them. But the way that you prioritize and execute on those channels has a huge impact on whether or not they serve your organization in a measurable way, right? Yes, Yes. One of the things that I say all the time, specifically about nonprofits is like, good marketing is not overhead. Only bad marketing is overhead. That's right. And so when nonprofit leaders think get that in their heads, I'm like way off on this other ranty tangent. No, that's okay. Yeah, you and I speak the same language. I yeah. love it. So anyway, people asked for marketing it's strategy in mm-hmm. just all by itself. And I was like, oh, that's the thing I can do. I was an elementary school teacher in a past life and I love to teach and I love to coach. And so, and you don't need a big team for that. Yeah. You don't need any team necessarily. I mean, that's the thing. So I basically like, I took that framework. I set up a consulting experience, you know, consulting model around it, shopped it around like my first five calls, three of them closed. That's brilliant. So that's what I've been doing ever since then. I do it in a few different formats, but it's fundamentally like I have a network If I'm working with a client that doesn't want to or can't do the things that we've planned for them, then I introduce them to freelancers or agency partners or whatever. Like I don't, I don't do anything except for help them to recognize the opportunity and prioritize how to attack it. That's wonderful. So tell us a little bit about who you work with. Oh, the best clients. I love my clients. Like that's the things like, I don't even, I say this all the time too, like, I don't give up marketing. That is so not what I'm here for. Like marketing is a tool, right? And so all of my clients are making the world a better place in like some meaningful way. And 
the best part about it is I get to decide what that means. I work with B Corps. I work with nonprofits. I work with social enterprises and I work with underestimated founders. So like one of the things like that is common as I'm like looking at my options, if you're a cishet white dude, then you got to come to me with something better than an idea. Like I need social impact. I need meaning. I need purpose. Like you need to be doing something bigger mm-hmm. than just like running a business. But if you're a black woman, as long as you're not selling oil or like s- drilling for oil or selling guns or something like that, I don't care what you do to enrich yourself. That is social good all by itself. Right. And so that attitude opens a lot of doors for me. And so I get to work with some really, really amazing. Like this year, I've gotten to work with an Halcyon incubator in Washington, DC. And that's like amazing. Absolutely wonderful entrepreneurs there doing really, really cool things. I've worked with Zane Partners based in Atlanta, like also focusing on black entrepreneurs, like amazing. I'm doing a project with American Heart Association right now where they're like paying me to teach some of their sponsored projects, both for profit and nonprofit about how to be a little bit more efficient with marketing. So yeah, it's a blast. I love it. I love that. So my next question being a business owner is some of those clients can pay you probably really well and others cannot. So if I'm an underestimated entrepreneur, how do I think about what it looks like to work with you? Should I even bother reaching out? Talk a little bit about that because as a business owner, we all struggle with that, right? Yeah, it is. So I have like some things I have planned and some things that are now. So right now I'm a huge advocate for sliding scale pricing model. And I've played with a few different versions of it, but that's what I do. So I'm super straightforward in one-on-one consulting. Like there has to be a floor on the price point for me, Mm -hmm. right? And so, but every time I sell that work to an organization that has a few million dollars a year in revenue, then that balances out something that I can do for an organization that is pre-revenue, right? So that's one of the things that I do, but that's still pretty high price point and still, you know, five figures. But then I have online courses. I have small group courses, right? The cohort, the marketing on purpose cohort is like a few thousand dollars because it's a, a very small group. It's only six entrepreneurs working together. Okay. And how long do you work with them? It's a 10 week program. It's a lot of work. Ah, yeah. It's like taking a college course. I mean, it's basically like, this is the thing that I've realized is I don't, because the outcome is not just like, oh, now you have a marketing plan. It's like the outcome is now you know how to think about marketing. Mm -hmm. It will change. Like if you write, like it changes the way that you conceive of what marketing can do for your organization and how to handle it. And so it's not just like, it's really good for entrepreneurs that are just starting out. And my favorite thing, I have a client that I worked with last fall that we did the strategy. Then they went out and raised a half a million dollars. And then they came back to me and said, we need your help implementing it. And so now I'm doing like a fractional CMO gig with them. to like, it's all vendors and onboard software and like do all these, all these things. And so, yeah, that's incredibly rewarding when I get to see my clients turn around. I have another, like a nonprofit client that like they paid me and it was a lot of money for them at the time. They were an all volunteer organization at the time that they rallied to pay, but they turned it around and quadrupled it by the end of the week. Like we worked together for a week and they literally, they were like, because the marketing plan is so well considered, like the assets are so thoughtful. They took it back to one of their high net worth donors and was like, we're going to need 
$25,000 to execute on this plan. And she was like, here, here's your check. Go, go do it. See, that's so amazing. You know, we've all been there and I know I have nonprofit listeners. If you're a nonprofit that has this great marketing plan or branding plan, I've done branding plans where, Mm -hmm. you know, then you turn around and they're like, this is great. We don't have any funds to implement it. And we don't really have anyone who's high level enough. We thought we'd be able to get the funding. It is one of those things where you can go to your donors. You can Mm -hmm. go back to foundations that gave you the original grant and say, this is what it looks like. It's great, but it's a framework. It's a foundation. It's not something that's going to move the needle unless we take it out of the package, right? right? You can get four new tires for your car. But if they sit in your garage, they're not going to get you anywhere. Exactly. And that is an issue. So I love what you're saying. I feel like you and I are very similar in a lot of the ways that you've talked about how you look at it. We do something that we call value pricing, but you know, it's the value to the organization, which is really another way of thinking about a sliding scale. But what you're saying just really, really resonates with me. So you were a full service agency. Now you're consultancy and education-based. And tell us a little bit about how you've come up with your offers and how people can kind of self-select to learn more about you and what would be a good fit for them depending on where they are. Yeah. So I am working hard to make everything as accessible as possible. So I'm like halfway through writing a book that will be sort of like workbook-ish, like self-guided, right? So like, Mm -hmm. obviously that's a way more accessible price point. I have some online courses and my intention is by the end of the year, actually, that I will have my full consulting sort of model online for self-serve courses as well. So like both of those things are obviously like a lot more accessible from price point. But really, I find that my clients sort of come in like three, three different flavors, right? There's like the very, very early stage, like we're talking about like one person marketing team or even like solopreneur, like something like that, where it's like oftentimes it's pre-revenue. And that person doesn't know what they don't know about marketing and doesn't have time to waste on marketing that doesn't work and maybe feels a little bit, this is an interesting one because this is where a lot of coaching comes in, maybe feels a little sheepish about promoting themselves or their ideas or their business. And in for those organizations, like my framework basically empowers them to It gives them the freedom and the confidence that what they're doing is the right thing for their business. And they can feel a little bit, they can be okay about the self-promotion. They can be okay about how they spend their time with it. The second category is like that same business, like five years later, where they've got a few staff, they've got a few wins, but they know that like what got them here is not the thing that's going to get them where they want to go. Right. So that's like the next round, the next level up. And then the third sort of category of clients that I work with, often nonprofits, but they can be for-profits too. And these are organizations where product and services or product and communications or programs and communications are separate. And so they find there's a lot of inefficiencies in their marketing process. I can tell by your face, this is a familiar experience for you. (laughs) Well, I've worked within a lot of nonprofits. And so I was a self-appointed silo buster because I don't, and even in a corporate setting, I was in a corporation where I made it my mission to friend and partner with 
people that were in the department, but were considered the arch nemesis of the marketing department. It was so crazy. I'm like, I'm not playing by these rules. Yeah. It's that kind of shit is so weird. So one of the thing I am just like, I'm an efficiency freak. I hate waste. I hate waste. And especially in a nonprofit where like, we have better things to do like that money, those resources, our time is really precious and in related, but not immediately relevant is also just the way that nonprofits often demand so much more from their staff than they give them, right? It can be really exploitative working in a nonprofit. And so that's part of what I work with my clients. So the marketing framework, the strategy centers your audience. It thinks very carefully about what your channel strategy is and how you should prioritize and execute it. And what that does is basically preload consensus on all kinds of things. So now we all have tools so that if there's a request from comms, they, whoever's making that request understands what kind of information comms needs before they're going to do the thing. Mm -hmm. So that when they do the thing, it doesn't have to be edited and reviewed and revised and rewritten over and over and over again until it has no personality and no branding and no effectiveness left in it, right? Like, it's, we all need to like get on board with like, this is what we agreed. This is how it's going to go and let comms do their jobs. Right. I love that. You actually teach delegation or you're working on teaching delegation, right? Yeah, no. I, so I've got an online course right now and I'm about to start a social media season where I've recorded a bunch of videos and I'm going to be like releasing them. Yeah. Delegation. I feel like, especially for women leaders and for people of color, It's so hard to be a good delegator if you can't be honest about power. Mm, Talk more about that. Well, we, I'll speak for myself. I imagine this is going to resonate. Like I was taught not to be powerful. I was taught soft power, right? But really what it is, is like passive aggressive garbage. And so when somebody doesn't do something that they promised to do, then we're like, oh, but we're like afraid to follow up and ask for it. And we're like, there's just all these different ways where, because no one is taught how to communicate proactively and help in delegation, right? Like that's not, it's not a thing. That's true. No one is taught that, but white dudes are perfectly comfortable understanding that they're in control and that they have the power, like whatever I'm generalizing, but like, really it's a totally, it's a very different cultural expectation of how we are supposed to communicate in those moments. So true. And when you break out of that mold, we see what happens. You're called a rebel or a problem, make problem person or rabble rouser, rabble rouser. That's it. Exactly. And so that's the thing of like, when you, so a healthy delegation practice starts with an acknowledgement that like the asker has a certain amount of power and the doer has a certain amount of power. Mm -hmm. And we're going to be honest about that. Like the asker is asking for the thing. They get to decide whether or not it's done according to what they asked for. Mm -hmm. But the doer is the one who gets to decide when it gets done and how it gets done. That's the way that my script sort of empowers everybody to collaborate proactively and in like healthy, respectful ways. So if you don't have a healthy, respectful environment where you can talk to each other, then you have way bigger problems. But once you're in a place where like you have a healthy relationship with the people that you work with, this only makes it better because it's proactive. And honestly, from the point of view of a manager, of a business leader, 
one of the things I love about it is that like when people don't deliver on the delegation, there is no confusion about how or why that happened. Interesting. And so it actually becomes an amazing tool for getting people like for understanding why people are not performing according to expectations. Love that. See it so clearly it's documented so clearly that if there's somebody who like continues to be a problem, you can tell the difference between somebody who is like passing the buck and making excuses and somebody who's doing the best they can. And they're not in the right role. Like you can tell it all becomes very visible very easily. And so that's just, I mean, it's worth so much money. It's worth so much time and heartache to business leaders, you know? So I have to say, first of all, I think this is really, really important what you're talking about. And I also have to note that this is not about marketing. And so just to come kind of come full circle and talk about the fact that marketing just happens to be one of your entry point. It's what Mm -hmm. you're really, really good at. It's a great entry point, but your work is not about marketing. Your work is about impact and helping people make the impact that they need to make in the world. And that's something that you and I have in common It's just that our ways that we deliver that is a little bit different, but I love this conversation. And I have to ask you about one more topic that people Mm. are going to find provocative. So you did a presentation for We The Change. And just as a reminder, although I've talked about that group a lot on this podcast, We The Change is a group of women CEOs of certified B Corps. And we have an organization where we come together And we move forward certain objectives that are important to the group. So when we were in lockdown, Lindsay did a presentation on walking away from social media. Mm -hmm. And are you incorporating that now into something that your business offers as well? It's a little bit of a side note on strategy. It's a part of what I work with my clients on when it's appropriate, but it's like one of these things, like another thing I tell my clients and I coach my clients into making marketing plans based on the belief that people don't read, right? Like we're going to spend a lot of time talking about your brand and your voice and your channel strategy and all that kind of stuff. And then I'm really sorry to tell you, but people don't read. And so that's like, the good news is that means that we can reuse the same stories because the worst thing that happens is we start to look consistent. People start to remember what we're they talking see about. see it like six, 10 times anyway I know. before they remember. They already saw it. I, exactly. But that's the thing is like, nobody's going to remember. And especially what is it you're talking about, like case study data or any of that. Nobody. Yeah, remember. yeah, yeah. And so, but as women, as people of color, we have this idea that like every single social media post has to be novel and perfect and adorable and like absolutely resonant and we need to let ourselves off the hook in a really big way. That's right. I could turn that into a 45 minute class on how to do it, why to do it, et cetera. So as an example, so then this social media thing came along where I just kept finding myself looking at clients being like, hold on, you're spending hours a week creating this content. You're getting no engagement on the content. Not your fault, by the way. I got a whole problem with these algorithms. Yeah. So you're getting yeah no yeah. authentic engagement on these posts. You cannot trace any impact of that time investment on your business, on your organization. Let's take a step back and talk about how we can do that, how we can realign your time with something that is more impactful on your business. And so the idea behind what I call the social media solution is turn 
your social media channels into landing pages. So, and I have a bunch of clients that I did this. Like if you go look at open lines on Instagram, you will see like a nine square grid. It's designed to be permanent. It literally says, go find us on LinkedIn. (laughs) Ah, interesting. (laughs) That's where I'm active. So if anybody goes to look for me there, what do they get? They get an acknowledgement that I am present. They get an overview of my business and my aesthetic, and they get a call to action to go find me somewhere else where I am Mm -hmm. actually, right? Mm -hmm. We can all do that. Right. And then I have to invest in my Instagram once a year instead of every day or a few times a week, whatever. And so that's where I think I love to be that very, very, very practical voice for my clients where I can take us out of random acts of marketing, right? I can take us out of, I'm doing it because it looks like the thing or feels like the thing I should be doing. And instead just gut check reality. What do you actually need? What's actually going to serve you in your business? And like, let's prioritize those things. That is so good. So you help your clients prosper. You help them evolve. This is called the Prosper Project. I love talking to leaders for whom prosperity looks different. And so I always end my podcasts with a question, what does it mean for you to prosper? Not your business, but you individually. So Mm. Lindsay, can you answer that last and final question? Yeah. I, do you know, for me, I think it's, I'm a connector. I have a nature that makes it easier for me to give away than to collect. And so prosper for me is when I don't have to have any boundaries around my giving, whatever that is, whether it's my time or my sources or my, you know, like that's what it looks like to me. That is really one of the best answers I've heard. And it's very unusual. And it's also um, very you. I really, really appreciate you sharing your insight and wisdom. And where can people find you? Yeah. So open-lines.co is my website. Mm-hmm. You can learn all about my offerings and courses and all that kind of stuff there. But really I'm most active on LinkedIn. So just Google, you know, go search for Lindsay Lachelle on LinkedIn. It's the Google is really kind to me because I've been on the internet for a very long time. And the other Lindsay Lachelle's in this country are not active on the internet. Okay. Well, that's good. We will have links to your LinkedIn and your website and your Instagram in the comments section. Oh, you know what? Can I promote? Can I promote one other thing? Yeah, go for it. So I'm super excited in my role with We The Change. We just had a meeting the rest of this year. We are going to be focused on pay equity. And our goal is going to be to empower all of our member organizations to level up into best practices for pay equity. And then we're going to turn around and empower them to empower the greater business community. We've got advocacy projects going on with this. This is our project for the next six months. And if any of your listeners are thinking that this is a thing they need to do, it's open. It's not just members. We're going to have a lot of stuff that's available to everybody guest speakers, resources, templates, coaches, like we're really committed to this thing. So I just want to plug that because I think it's really important. Yeah. Well, what I will do is share the We The Change. It's wethechange.net. If anyone's listening, wants to go right now, but I'll put that link in the show notes as well. And people can go there. You can sign up to get on our email list and then you'll be first to receive notice of what's happening. So that's great. I did not know that. I recently rolled off of leadership. I'm glad that there's so many amazing people still on the leadership team. And I will be checking that out myself soon. 
Well, thanks for being here with me today, Lindsay. It was really lovely speaking with you. And thanks to all our listeners for tuning in as we talk about marketing and all kinds of other good things for growing businesses and creating positive impact in our world. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of The Prosper Project. If you want to grow a peerless, profitable brand, please hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And if you find value in our show, please help us reach others by sharing an episode and leaving a review. In appreciation, please visit prosperforpurpose.com for more free resources to help you grow your business.